listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 413. My name's Dave, joined as always by my co-host, Wayne, as we conclude part one of our journey with Joss Whedon's HBO Max creation, The Nevers. And yeah, I can't believe we're going to have to wait this long, but you know, yeah. we've come to an end with this. You came to an end with the uh, school year, such as it was today. Right. Yeah, yeah, today was the the last day, not as quite as weird last year where it was just online. It was like wave to your camera and wave to all the icons in front of you and um at least we had a couple kids in the building in front of me and you know, it was nice. It was actually the the last couple of days was fine. I this one class of kids. They're just so great. Uh there's a couple of kids in this class just really uh super kids and um so yesterday I was like, "Listen, you know, we had already turned grades in on Friday, and, and I was like, listen, I got nothing. If you guys just want to sign on and sign off, you can. I'll count you as, as being present. And the one group says, can, can we give lectures? And I'm like, well, sure. <laughs> so, so this one girl talked about the War of the Roses, and then um, a, another girl talked about the, uh, the, the timeline in the MCU. Okay. Um, just off the top of their heads. And then today, the other girl with the MCU presented, like, she she made uh, overnight, like, three PowerPoint presentations about uh, the Marvel world and everything. So, uh, yeah, it was it was cool. Well, she gets an A, and I'm not even going to ask where she put Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in that timeline. Which um, is, uh, she did not. Oh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> but... Uh, Dave, I'm well, afraid cool. that if uh, you're holding on to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that uh, it's it's... It's increasingly going to become a forgotten part of, of the Marvel world. Well, and, and again, I see there's stuff out on the internet about, you know, whether it's canon or not. And, and I don't want to get into it now. It's like, I don't care. I liked it. So, sure. end of story. Right. So, all right. Well, listen, we got a lot to talk about tonight. Yes, we, we do. Thank our patrons, Fred from the Netherlands, Dan, Richard, Travis, Mark, Cindy, Tobias, and Mike. Appreciate you guys and, and your support of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Um, in terms of what we're watching, tip of the week, just a, a quick tip. Uh, I've talked about it before. I'll mention it sometime when we got a little bit more time. But season three of The Gift is going to drop on Netflix the 17th of June. So if you're into that, if you saw seasons one and two, check it out. All right. What do you cool. got? Well, so Netflix finally got uh, Community back on. And uh, I was finally able to watch see, uh, season six. I, I, this is the show I'd loved. I uh, never watched uh, the last season. So um, it came out on like Yahoo. And every time I tried to watch it, it was a couple years ago. And my Wi-Fi, I guess, wasn't good enough. And it was glitchy. And it would buffer and everything. Just a pain in the ass. So I was just never able to watch that sixth season. But, um, but now I did. And... You know, it was really good. It was great. Great send-off. Uh, fantastic show. I actually went back just for the heck of it and watched Modern Warfare again. And that episode will absolutely stand up as one of the best half hours of television I've ever seen. So, Cool. Yeah, I, I've got to get back to that show. I've seen episodes here and there. I've certainly seen that episode uh, for sure at least twice. But, uh, yeah, it is a show. And, and it's a show that I think my wife will enjoy as well. Yeah, so. I think so. The, I mean, yeah. the, the cast is unbelievable especially early going back to that first season with like you know Chevy Chase and Donald Glover and and uh oh y- Yvette uh, Yvette I can't remember her name but she played Shirley uh just a great great cast and um you know while season 6 was also 
very well done, strong writing, very funny. It it still wasn't quite of the caliber of you know when they had that original cast there, but still really good. All right, well, let's get to the Nevers because we've got a lot to say about this one. Episode six of season one titled True, and this is the part one season finale uh, written by Jane Espenson, who at this point, I don't think we need to uh, explain to you guys who Jane Espenson is and her place in the sci-fi TV world directed by Zetna Fuentes (laughs) aired May 16th, 2021. Now I want to start with a little public service announcement that you and I have mentioned from time to time, but it, it feels like it's been quite some time since we mentioned that. And, you know, when we do these podcasts, particularly with a show like The Nevers, which is so deep, like Dark, even to a, a certain extent be Foreigners, we're examining the text. And, and in this case, the text is the actual episode. Mm-hmm. And we we don't really care to go to outside sources right. until after we've recorded our podcast. And it's not that we don't care what other people are thinking or have to say about the show. We don't care at this point. Well, we, we, I mean, we care, know. but we want when we when we record, we want it to be our thoughts and right. not borrowing ideas from from other sources. Right. So it's not to say that they're wrong, we're right, they're right, we're wrong. Well, that's not possible. We couldn't be wrong. No, yeah, but, uh, obviously, you know, our, our, there might be things we overlook. There might be things we say that you disagree with, but. Anyway, that's where we're coming from with our examination of the text. All of that said, I love this episode. I love the way it's structured. And, and of course, chronological is, is the way to go when we discuss this episode. But it's like the four phases of true, which I wonder if this was the plan all along to present this episode in this format or whether COVID-19 caused them to change the way they wanted to present things it doesn't matter to me i I love this format this structure but it just occurred to me well i i feel like this was totally planned out since this is almost you know blow by blow exactly what he did with doll with joss whedon did with dollhouse right well that's true too that i mean if and again i i have always expressed my absolute loathing for people who assume that just because a person who works on one show is then is super influenced by other shows, but you can't miss, like it is so out in your face that, you know, where right just like, you know, dollhouse was going along and, and obviously they're building mythology and building these conflicts. And all of a sudden there's this episode of epitaph one that then just turns everything on its head by setting by going to the future and showing the consequences of what is we are currently watching the consequences in the future. And, and again, while this future in the nevers, I, I mean, my assumption is that Zephyr slash Amalia slash Molly slash whatever is stripe is sent back because whatever caused this world to happen as it is, has its roots back in early late 19th early 20th century england so i assume that's why she's back there so even though no one says specifically that this future is because of what happened back then certainly it will and even um amalia herself has has 
alluded to that a couple times throughout the show that um that she's well again without any specific mission that she is some in some way trying to prevent the future from happening as this. So I I mean I this, I'm taking the long way around here just to say that uh clearly the 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 setup here is almost exactly what uh Joss Whedon did with uh Dollhouse and I like it. Yeah. And you know just in, in terms of some of the broader points of the episode you, we're faced with this battle between the planetary defense coalition and the free life army for essentially control of the earth and the role that the Galanthi will play in its future. And and the fundamental question that both sides grapple with is whether or not we want their help. Obviously the problem is if we do not accept their help, the earth is essentially become a dying planet, or at least that's what we're led to believe in, in a little bit of dialogue we get. So I, I love that setup. Uh, we don't know how far in the future this is. You know, I saw an interview just by mistake with, oh gosh, I can't think of her name, uh, Laura Donnelly, who plays Amalia True. And she mentioned like a hundred years, but the way she mentioned it in the interview, it almost sounded like she was guessing as well. Yeah. So yeah, whatever. Well, Fred does mention that it doesn't seem like it's that super far into the future because the, well, I, well, actually, you know, like we don't have tech that you can swallow and it makes you look dead and then you just throw it up and shoot people. So I'm thinking it's probably at least a hundred years from now would be a good mark, but not too super far. It's not like Star Trek far into the future, you know? Like it right, still is recognizable, yep. but I I don't, you know, my, one of my questions, and we can talk about this later, maybe we'll have to really talk about it now, but while we completely understand the difference between the PDC and the, the free life with regards to the Galante, I, I, I feel like their issues are actually greater than that. And, and that that's the, the Galante thing is just one part of the conflict between these two groups. You know, and, and that we've only kind of like maybe scratched the surface. And also, in addition, the Earth, as, as you said, from what we the dialogue, from what we've seen in this one, and from what Amalia has said about where she's from before, it does not sound like a great place. What are they fighting for? It sounds like it's already a world that is that is you know, for be- better or worse, is a dead world. Um, right. And- so, what are these guys actually fighting about? Well, right. And are the Galanthi planetary watchdogs? What brought them to Earth? Because we are certainly led to believe they are some sort of alien being. So we don't know what kind of technology they have yet at this point. Uh, We're also led to understand there is a portal that has been opened that allows the Galanthi to come in and apparently in this episode to leave as well, but we're not really told whether this portal opened accidentally, whether it was deliberately opened, assumed by the Galanthi, but we we don't know that for sure. But now that it's open and stable, this whole question about the intention of the Galanthi, are they here to help or are they here to invade and I'm so tired of alien invasion stories, so I certainly hope <laughs> it doesn't end up being that. And I, I don't think it's going I, to I don't be, think but, it is either. No. If, um, if one thing we can see about the Galanthi is that it's pretty clear that they, they are here 
for you know beneficial reasons and we you know we see the the video of the the galanthi playing with the professor as he's trying to do a video and everything the scientists and everything so you know we we really get the feel that that whatever the galanthi is is supposed to do it's it's something that is um you know pretty clearly supposed to be beneficial yeah, and yeah, there are a lot of parallels set up, and certainly the most important between Stripe and Amalia True, and we get that scene, everything seems to have gone to hell, but we've all also heard Stripe's kind of life story encapsulated, which leads her to kill herself by drinking whatever's in those small containers with the uh, you know danger symbols on it that we certainly <laughs> yeah. still recognize. And, you know, it, it, of course, parallels with the despair that Mrs. True is feeling when she jumps in the river. So we'll talk about that, you know, in a second. But as parallels that they set up, I, I just think they do a wonderful job here. And, you know, what is it about a name and the refusal to divulge right. it in the future? Right, right. Yeah. What's that about? Eh? Yeah. So we don't get any, you know, clarification on that. But uh Chapter one, Stripe, takes up about 40% of the episode. And one of the things that I really realize upon a rewatch, and one of the things I did in my first rewatch was I I had on my laptop the uh, script as well, which you can find this stuff online. And it made it a lot easier to, you know, follow what's going on. But, But the conclusion I came to is you don't need to get bogged down in the details no. about chapter one stripe you know the whole idea well why stripe you know that designates some sort of job that she's so what it doesn't matter she's a soldier yeah well of uh, course when she's called stripe my first assumption is she's maybe like some kind of sergeant or an nco you know like that's and it could be right and crescent well he's clearly a sergeant you know staff sergeant or lieutenant doesn't matter we know he's the leader knitter fine she's the medic we get all that so you know all and the fact that most of them end up dead anyway sure but that being said the 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 very first time i watched this i had no absolutely zero clue what was going on i you know i got a general sense but it probably it took I mean I must have watched this like five times and even the fifth time I'm still kind of figuring stuff out but uh, and you're right if I had gotten the script it probably would have been a lot easier but you know that's that's actually kind of what I, I love about an episode like this it is not accessible at first um, they're using language we have no idea what they mean it's just like again, epitaph one when they they threw us into this future world with uh language and and conflicts that were already happening we had absolutely no idea what was going on and we just kind of had to pick it up again over repeated watchings and um it really takes a a, a number of, of watchings to to kind of get straight what's going on but but you're absolutely right it's not really super necessary for the 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 episode as a whole to you know, have, you know, to, to know exactly what's going on and what each character does. I think ultimately it probably will like in the future, we'll probably come back this one and rewatch this episode. So to, to kind of get a a better handle on what's going on in in some future episode. 
but uh, but yeah, you're right now. Just kind of enjoy the ride, and, and uh, what the ultimately is what we want to get is this concept of what Stripe is like as a character, as a person, because clearly we see early on we're like, oh. Yeah, th- th- this is this is this is who Amalia is for sure. Yeah, like somehow Stripe becomes Amalia, right? And you understand why the Galanthi have chosen to take the consciousness and the soul of Stripe and place it in the body of Amalia True in the nineteenth century because they are undergoing so many of the same things. You know, you've mentioned Epitaph One several times, and and the Battle of Serenity Valley from Firefly sure. also comes to mind in, in this opening sequence during the firefight. So, you know, it is Whedon, not surprising, but the I mean, like just that that first image of a a ship flying over and paratroopers jumping out. You're like. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, this you know because we're used to the this uh, early twentieth century, late nineteenth century period piece, and now all of a sudden we are thrown into a hardcore sci-fi futuristic apocalyptic uh, episode, right? And I'll be honest, my wife and I sat down on the first watch, and after about. 10 minutes in with all my experience with sci-fi and you know she's got a fair amount as well i stopped it to check whether i was watching the right show <laughs> so right, right. you know i mean i was pretty sure i was but you know i had to check so this this whole idea about tracking the source of the spatial anomaly both sides are doing that right the free life army and the planetary defense coalition but they all seem to be well-versed in the Galanthi. So this portal that is opening, which apparently is this spatial anomaly that they're all tracking, must be different from how, you know, how the Galanthi arrived at Earth previously, right? Right. I mean, unless there was a portal that opened briefly, they came through and then the portal closed up and they've been around for a while and now another portal opened up. Yeah, so, it, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's, I think it's one of this. Actually, I think, I think I, I kind of maybe go with your second statement there. That I think that, I mean, they, they mentioned that other Galanthi have come through and actually had been killed. And I think this is the last one uh, again, even after five times, I'm still not hundred percent straight on, the, on some of the details of this first chapter. Um, but um, so, yeah, they do mention that certainly there are others and others that have been killed. I feel like they say this is the last one. So I, I think it would be something that portals have opened before that the Glanthe had come through. And now this portal is open, but you know, it is, going the other direction so well claudia black who we know from farscape as well as the last couple seasons of stargate sg1 is certainly wonderful as stripe and you know you mentioned her coughing up the glowing blue cubes which are coolant pods and and you know i mean the whole thing about those playing possum i mean it makes perfect sense what she did and it comes up later the idea of playing possum although that guy was just kind of right playing dead i don't think yeah. he used any you no. know, supplemental materials but uh, you know whether she intended it to play out the way 
she explained, I think it was to knit her maybe, but she did it because her unit was being overrun. She didn't like the odds any longer. So you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll play dead for a while until I can figure out a way to even up the odds. I mean, I mean that's certainly the way I looked at that. So well, when uh, she's uh, in, yeah, I in mean, that state, I mean, she must have been able to see what's going on and was able to cough it up on her own, I guess. I guess, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I got the feeling that she had been sent in there is kind of like to to help this unit that's already that that comes in later. I again, actually, I should defer to you on this because you read the script, so you would you'd have it better on this. But but yeah, but certainly. Um, yeah, we we wonder is she conscious? Is she able to, you know, snap out of it, you know, at will, right? Well, I don't think that comes out in the script, so you know, that question is still valid and still unanswered. Yeah, but again, it doesn't really matter. The fact right. that she's she's there. Right. The only thing that matters is is she's there uh and she, you know, meets because uh, ultimately like I said, I mean, really this this whole opening thing is meant to show us who Amalia was before, and and right. despite all the the vocabulary and everything, all the plot points, we can get hung up on that. But it's really what's significant is just for us to learn about this character Stripe and to see her befriend Knitter, right? right, and see Knitter as this, and and again, like the um, you know co- the coordination with early 20th century London there, like Knitter, the optimistic young person and Stripe as the jaded older person. And then of course that same relationship between Amalia and Penance uh, back in the past. Right. Another of those parallels I was referring to earlier. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, You know, we've heard the term Stripe in a previous episode and, and it got Amalia's attention so, you know, when we hear her called Stripe in this episode, we're starting to put things together. When she starts making the finger motions like Amalia, we, we right. understand right. what That's, has exactly happened. They, right. And we get that, that verification, you know, later on. But the other thing that gets addressed, I don't want to say it gets answered, is the whole idea of the Galanthi and the spores and and again you know it's it's almost like they're making up names for we don't know what the galanthi actually call these beams of light that they shoot out on people that empathically enhance individuals and, and that apparently they spore people to make them wise and adorable <laughs> so i think what we have to look at as that has happened and, and again it comes out a little bit in the episode later on is that things didn't go exactly as planned when the galanthi spored 19th century london that people didn't become wise and adorable right they didn't become empathically enhanced or, or uh, you know or is cases, that what the plan was well, I, okay, that's true. That that could be true. It's just that, a, you know, we don't get the sense that, you know, the individuals in chapter one in the future, you know, they're not talking about a guy that's, that makes bullets with his arm 
or a guy that's got like, uh, you, you know, like horned protrusions all up and down his arm or odium, you know, those mm-hmm. sorts of things or, or, or giant, uh, kind of forgetting everybody's name now, uh, not Mary with the, the Annie? girl that's really big. An- oh, no. uh, uh, n- Oh, yeah. bother. Anyway, Prudence? No. Prudence? I can't think of it. Anyway, you know who I'm talking Prudence. about. Yeah, the big tall girl. Yeah. So it, it seems as if something didn't go according to plan when they spored people in the 19th. Well, or, so, or did it, though. Or did it. Right, right, right. You know, the other thing that, that occurs to me with the Free Life Army, who uh, they're referred to as God's Men, and then the, the Planetary Defense Coalition – you create AI, but forget the I, uh, you know, you know, why do you hide from God? And, and one of my first questions is whether or not this is some sort of a religious war. And I guess in a sense it is, but it's, it's really seems to boil down to whether or not we want outside help in taking care of our business here on earth yeah well like like like, i mean i i feel like it's that while that is a big thing i I feel like there's probably a lot more to this conflict than just the um the galanthi well well oh you mean a a a fourth group no no like that the 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 conflict between the free life and the pdc while the their attitude about the galanthi is part of it i feel like the the ba- I think you know. I see this as the basic struggle between forces of conservatism and and the forces of change. That has, I mean, we again we see that absolute parallel back in Victorian London in this in this series. Right, it's the same war that they refer to war a number of times, both Masson and Amalia do, and um, you know, and it's like the, almost the same types of groups in the future right the and of course they they give the the free life guy has like a southern accent and you know so we get this that he's like this t- prototypical not that all southerners are like super conservative i'm just saying like you know they, they they give him all the stereotypes of the super conservative kind of white guy right and then of course the the pdc is a much more multicultural group and they are willing to embrace technology and progress and things like that so i think the 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 struggle between these two groups is just a continuation of this struggle that's been going on since the the beginning of time but we you know most notably see in like the french revolutions okay so you're saying at the free life army hq they've got a picture of lord masson on the wall very likely Really? As one of the foul, yeah, you're right, and I, I think that connection is, is clearly and Donald Trump for us too. too. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, what do you make of that little 19th century museum sort of yeah. thing that they they find there? I mean, you know, one of the questions is why 1896. What is it about that period? And you you kind of touched on this real briefly at the beginning of the discussion. I mean, when you start thinking about the Industrial Revolution, well, that's already been in play for for several decades. And while things are certainly ramping up and we're only 15 years away from the war to end all wars – and technology really picks up, particularly the technology of war, maybe that's the reason why 
1896 was chosen by the Galanti. I mean, outside of that, uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, it doesn't explain the little museum piece, which also has those white gloves there, which I'm not sure what that's all about. Right. Yeah, not 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 sure at all. Except that, like I said before, that something back then created the world as it is now. You know, and again, this like so that the 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 London we, you know, we have to remember the London uh, that we see in the Nevers is not our world. It, it's very close to it, but it's not it's not our world, right? It's a fictitious world. W- you know what? happened in in this world I, I guess i'm assuming that whatever happened that kind of led to uh this world in chapter one and that's why stripe is going back is you know is something from victorian london you know and, and i mean certainly it's easy to suppose that we brought this on ourselves through war whether it was you know nuclear and that we just blanketed the earth and that's that's what brought on this this dark winter but the galanthi projects apparently include pure water and tectonic stabilizers which the free life army destroys and and of course we have to wonder well well why okay fine you want white males to continue to run things even though at this point in history, it's probably been quite a long time mm-hmm. since that was the case. But why would you destroy projects that want to bring pure water to everybody unless you want to be the one controlling who gets the pure water? Ed, Ed Zachary. Right. And the tectonic stabilizers, maybe that's an indication that they're, they're learning to control earthquakes i mean look geez at some point i mean i think we're gonna have to leave california i mean i I know i exaggerate a little bit but uh, you know in in terms of where they've built a lot of their infrastructure their cities so it's still why destroy them unless you want to be the one to control that unless you want to be the one that that people have to be thankful for i'm going to call it a missile silo you know you know that that shaft that they discover and see the science team hanging dead up up Mm -hmm. above at first i thought maybe it was some sort of missile silo but then it looks like they go to the bottom of it and then that's where they find the galanthi uh you know in the in the glass above them and again not sure whether that glass was constructed for the galanthi whether the galanthi brought it with it uh, whether it was already there and this was just, you know, convenience. Uh, but, um, you know, as, as we try to figure out, I mean, it, it, we clearly bond with the Global Defense League rather than yeah. the free life. I mean, right away, the, we learned that the free life, they, they use torture to get information. And well, we, they... The tor- well, See, they surmise that. Here, here's the thing about the torture. I think Fred kind of got this wrong a little bit too. Th- they didn't torture the scientists. They're torturing the Galanthi. They killed right, the scientists, the Gal- and they because I, the Galanthi, the Galanthi's bonded you know, yes. empathically. I guess R- exactly. So the torture that's going. They didn't torture the scientists. They just straight up killed them, 
hanged them from the the top of the silo so that their blood would drip down on the Galanthi, and that is the torture for the Galanthi. Their version of waterboarding, I guess. Yeah, or, or just it's more like psychological torture, right? Like, right. Like, uh, like uh, Stripe says, they they always kill the family first, right? That's you know that's how they they, they get to one way to get to a, a, a person that you're you're trying to break. Now, you know, we've been talking about the Galanthi and the apparent power that they have to cure Earth's ills, and, and Stripe voices kind of the obvious question, well, why haven't they come earlier? Why'd they wait till now? Why did they wait until we are at our absolute darkest and lowest? We don't get an answer, of course, and we may never. Well, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure we will get Well, you know, I wonder, I see, I I get the feeling we're never going back to Stripe in the future. Really? Yeah. Because now that we know that the Amalia true that we've known through the first five episodes and and part of this episode, that's Stripe in Amalia's body. That's not Amalia true. Correct. That's not Amalia true, the baker. I mean, we, we do get a sense of Amalia true, the baker. But we've got Stripe in 1899 now. Yes. And, you know, as she says, she's starting to like this body a little more as she uh, I like that learn, body. Learns, to, learns to use it. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no question. But it, it is a good question. You know, why wait till now? So yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, what? I, I mean, I, I totally see like if they they didn't take I, you know, I just kind of feel like. We're going to get some glimpses of, of the, once they brought us there, they can take us back there every once in a while, you know. Well, they can. And, and it made me think of Travelers, how we only got, oh, brief glimpses of the future. Right. Like, I, I mean, think just the could, one I can think of, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It couldn't have been more than a couple seconds. Yep. Right, right. So I wonder whether it's the story is going to be moving forward with this mission that, as Amalia said, I, I've just been left here without a mission. I mean, she she kind of knows sort of what she needs to do, but not really. I mean, she knows she needs to prevent this future from happening, but but we don't really know. But, well, well, but, well, yeah, part of that, if, I'm sorry if I can jump in this real quick. That, you know, Cousins points out there, because she's like, you know, I'm just a stripe. I'm, I, I just do and I go, right? Like, I take orders and I do what I'm told, and, and that's it. Because it points out, well, maybe you're the one who's supposed to be given the orders now. And she's like, she has, she just really can't wrap her mind around that. But that could very well be the plan, right? That she's not supposed to be coming up with the mission. She's supposed to be creating, I'm sorry, she's not supposed to be carrying out the mission. She's supposed to be creating the mission. Right, and Penance addresses that with her later on, and we'll, we'll get to that. It's just such a wonderful scene between the two of them. Yeah, it's a great I, scene. I mean, this this episode is just, I mean, one scene is just more beautiful oh, than the Are we just going to give it the A-plus now, Dave? Should we just get that? Oh, let's just get yes. the, the elephant out of the room. Yeah, all right, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we don't have any of that suspense. You know, I don't want to make the audience anxious, wondering throughout the whole the whole discussion what we're going to give it. We're just going to put it out there. For you. We're going to give this an A-plus, so... Don't worry, everyone. Relax. And then the end of chapter one, we, we really see the the depth to which Stripe ha- has finally fallen. She says she's been fighting for 28 years 
for nothing. Nothing has changed, and I'm not going to die waiting on a savior. She's lost all hope, just like Amalia. Yep. And you know that that brief relationship that you mentioned a few minutes ago that she has with Knitter, and and certainly we we make the the connection with her relationship with Penance later on. Knitter reveals that she was free life until she was spored, and and that whole idea of hope as a theme that I could change. The Galanthi made it so I saw the light, if you want to use that phrase, the hope for a better world. But it's just not enough that that because of the way the end of the scene transpires, the Galanthi appears to be leaving as a gunfight erupts among the unit and, you know, several are killed, including Knitter, who begins to tell Stripe her name and all she gets out. And I know you don't use closed captioning. So do you have any idea what she said? Uh, Nope. Okay. uh, The closed captioning, all it puts up is the letter H. Okay. And that's all she gets out. So I'm thinking, of course, Harriet. Now, I, I... I don't know why I'm thinking that there's not necessarily any evidence that there would be any kind of connection. Harriet has not done or said anything that would indicate she's from the future. She could be Horatio. Well, but, but it, it does. I did find it interesting. Yeah. Um, Well, just really something I wanted to to jump on really quick about what you just said, because it actually ties in with something that I had wanted to say, last episode but i forgot because you mentioned how um knitter was once a free life and so that that made me think like well okay so she got spored so probably if her people were free life she would become anathema then if she were spored right which then brings me back to our man lord masson right i had said before that i don't think his daughter's dead i think she got quote unquote spored and now she's the you know whereas in Jane Eyre the the wife was locked up in the the attic and this one's the daughter locked up in the basement now okay I feel like my theory has gained credence last episode when the guy who's the um the the king's cousin um they ask about his daughter and who apparently he is carted off to some foreign location and he's like i told you she has lambigo (laughs) you know um which you know clearly what the suggestion is is that his daughter is has been touched and that he's carted her off to get her out of the public eye um to avoid any scandal so you know i think that has uh, reinforced my theory here that the 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 whatever is in the basement of Lord Masson's house is I, I I'm thinking his daughter because that's the person we see him and the relationship they kind of establish a little bit potentially his wife as well I mean not as well it, it could also be his wife but I feel like he's got his daughter locked up in there because she was touched that she didn't die and anything else you want to mention about chapter one. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. We could probably just talk about chapter one for the next 20 minutes and everything. I knew we got to move on, but uh, I, th- I think we'll, we'll just, uh, we'll move on. Uh, yeah, I'm sure okay. later I'll think of stuff I'd, I wanted to say, but I mean, yeah, just, just throw the, it in. Just the, just the, 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 the fact of, of, like I said, to just, 
out of nowhere, just at the very beginning of the episode, throw us for a loop. As I am sure you are absolutely not the only person who checked to make sure that they were watching the right show. Um, and I, I just, I love that. I love that kind of daring of, of that, that, you know, that the courageous direction that, that, you, that they went here, uh, the writers and directors and everything. I think that was, that was awesome. So, all right, well, let's get to chapter two titled Molly, who is really the antithesis of Stripe. And this segment lasts only nine minutes. The, the, directors and the writers they speed up the narrative to great effect that we don't miss anything we we get exactly what we're supposed to get out of this scene which is who amalia true really was and and that that she was a baker in a sweet shop she was apparently in love with this young man named varnum who doesn't have enough money to marry her but she gets an offer from another man who clearly she doesn't love isn't attracted well, he's, to he's an oaf right he comes in yes, he right grabs the bread first of all why are you grabbing the bread get your hands off the bread bro um right. and then he's making like rude comments and comparing it and it's being rude to her and very ungentlemanly um and that's the guy that the lady owns the place says well you should marry him you know right and, and poor but- molly is just so susceptible to that kind of bullshit advice you know well, and I guess this is her life. She didn't have a whole lot of opportunities, but visually I love what they do here, which is place us in a familiar setting, which is Molly carrying a basket, walking down that same alley that we've seen her walk down a number of times. And we know what's eventually going to happen, which is she's going to turn left and then change her mind and turn right and, and jump into the river. But what gets her to that point? And that, that's what we get in this nine-minute segment that we learned she's had Was that only nine min- minutes? Yes. Yep. Wow. Nine minutes. They put a lot into that nine minutes. Right. She's had two miscarriages yeah. with a man she, she – I can't believe she loves. Oh, and no. It just feels definitely. like this just is the all fact she, that the, the right. miscarriage was a thing meant that right. other things happened that I just don't want to think about. Right. And we learn how she becomes a widow that he dies of some disease it's yeah. you know, not not named uh and probably lambigo with uh, yeah massive debts although she does have a place to live because her mother-in-law who's still alive although bedridden uh, owns the house but you know, despite the fact that she does her duty taking care of this woman who probably doesn't care for her either she regrets having no kids and and that whole phrase god makes his plans and here we are Mm -hmm. it's just this this incredibly humble individual who life has just dealt a very bad hand and well it's it's also you know like part of the the commentary for this show all along has been the um the the role of of women And, and we see here i mean part of why Molly's life is is as it is is because she has so as you said there's so little options available to her you know as as a woman as a you know working class woman and she is very susceptible to like the lady who owns the place oh my daughter is turning 12 so sorry Molly you're going to you're out of a job 
And, you know, she makes those sweets that are apparently are her specialty. And as her husband had told her, she needs to charge more for them. And she leaves it outside of the front door of Varnum, who has a wife and child. And apparently her, her, his wife is, is pregnant again with a, a, a very nice note. I mean, I certainly didn't interpret that as an attempt on her part to work her way back into his life. It was just almost, you know, I really do wish you and your family you know, a wonderful life. But we realize these are all the events that lead her to feel like life's not worth living, jumps in the water. And then we get that great scene where she's taken to a hospital and we realize that it's stripe in Molly's body, which we've suspected which, yeah. for quite some time. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and again, as you said, that the repetition of that scene of her walking down that alley, the shot that they do, the penultimate one of those shots, she does hesitate before turning left the one time. Yes. She doesn't look to the right. She just hesitates that moment. There's also, now here's something that just this last time, again, this is probably like my fifth time seeing this episode. So she's going down the alley and some dude accosts her and she basically says, leave me alone and walks off. And then the dude follows her. So, and then I, I'm like, okay. did she just get raped? Oh. Uh, you know? Yeah. Like, because yeah. why did they show that? Why did they, they show the guy going after her um, and then, you know, because then that is like the next time we see her, she kills herself. So right. was that also a contributing factor to it? I, I don't know, but it's this, this, just this time I just noticed that. I, obviously, I noticed that the guy, you know, gets in her, her face, but this time I just noticed that he, he does very aggressively follow after her um, when yeah. she goes by. Well, they pull her out of the river, and chapter three is titled "The Mad Woman in the Thames," and and this one lasts about seventeen minutes. And and, and there, you know, I, I did note those times because I, I I thought it was important how much they devote to each one and basically how they play them out. And and I love how this segment begins because Stripe is trying to figure out what in the hell is going on. She of course thinks she's in a sim. And the first person she really meets is Sarah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what'd you think about that? Uh, well, I mean, obviously we knew that that there was a prior relationship but with, with Sarah and, and Molly in this case. You know, and, and now, and, and we suspected because we, we, we see Sarah get um, getting carted off to the asylum in the very first episode. And that we know that, uh, you know, Sarah slash Malady, uh, you know, blames Molly for, you know, for what she is and where she is and, and everything. So, and, you know, kind of we get those questions answered as to, you know, how all that came about. Well, yeah. And we get the origin of that phrase that we've heard several times, a friend's the one you trust to trust you back. And in this case, it's Stripe, a.k.a. Amalia, telling Sarah that. And then, of course, saying, why aren't I dead? Because I killed myself, which she did. But but obviously, the Galanthi came to the rescue. But then, as Molly Stripe is trying to put together what's going on, it's Sarah that comforts the sobbing Molly, which, again, you know, when we get to the point, it's so easy to look at Malady 
and just arbitrarily think she needs to be locked up. She needs to, and and okay, maybe she does, but she killed a lot of people, Dave. Gotta, well, she you, did, you, but there were there were things that that led up to sure. that. And and again, don't want to excuse her actions, but I, I think it's it's really interesting to watch these sequence of because we see later on in this segment that molly essentially throws sarah under the bus yeah big time with dr Haig, and while on the one hand she is kind of telling dr Haig the truth sort of about molly she knows full well what she's doing yeah there's a, there's is, a significant amount of untruth in there as well Right. Well, one thing, I mean, absolutely, we see that Sarah is a very innocent soul and a pure soul here. So to reconcile this woman here with the malady that we know, and again, you know, malady is is complex as shit, man. Like, she's probably the most complex character in, in this show. And, and like I said, I, I still have really zero idea of of what malady's deal is she's not sarah like she is way more complex than that and and you know molly it's really a pretty harsh betrayal i think she recognizes that haig is like not someone to be trusted right he he comes well, off especially when he says he wants to study them. Right, right. And he you know, he comes off as like a salesman and he's like trying to pitch this to him. And Sarah, you you actually just look at him and she like is kind of like sitting straight up and looking very like kind of like encouraged and interested. And Molly is kind of a little slumped and is very suspicious, right? So when she basically cooks up a story full of half truths that you know convinces Haig that Molly has no touch ability at all and that she was just repeating what Sarah had told her. Like you said, she he she totally throws her under the bus. Of course she doesn't know that she's gonna be tortured, right? But again, stripe, you know, it's not um it's not Molly, it's stripe and stripe knows what the world is like and she knows what the score is. And so she probably has a pretty good idea that whatever Haig is up to, it's no good. And she lets it happen to Sarah rather than to her. Right. And she's a soldier and she's biding her time. We know she's collecting weapons that she's hiding in the floorboard uh, in her room. But, you know, that, that description that Sarah gives her about seeing a dragonfly that came apart like sparks, which we suspect is the Galanti ship crashing after you know sporing london and molly understands and says i believe you but it goes back to the question that we've raised several times throughout the course of this show's discussion what is malady's turn and i don't necessarily still see any indication that she is touched i mean we see that one girl you know sitting off to the side and it's like she's I guess she's magnetic because she's got the object or else she can, you you know what I'm talking about. So that girl's clearly touched. We, we know that Molly is touched, but still we don't really know what the deal is with. Yeah, we do. Yeah. 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 They they said the whole thing about pain. Yeah. Yeah. If if you cause her pain that like 
gives her greater power. Okay. So that's okay. like when her eyes go orange and everything like that. Okay. All right. Well, great introduction of Dr. Cousins to Amalia. And, and, and again, it drives home why they have such a close bond in, you know, in, in our reality that we've been used to through the first five episodes. And she's already flashed forward to having sex with him, which, uh, you know, she seems like, okay, well, I'm, I'm waiting for this. I, this, this looks good. And she says she's from South coast Canada. I don't know that there's any reason to disbelieve her at this point. I don't know that it is that important. Well, well right. Well, my thing is because, you know, they ask her, are you from America? And she's like, yeah, well, Southwest Canada. And I'm like, okay, so, in, in, and I know this is a reach, but in her world is Southwest sure. Canada, like what was formerly America. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. The, 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 the map may have changed yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. We talk about, you know, the, her, her connection with cousins, you know, she disarms one of the patients, gets cut pretty badly in the process. And clearly that's the first indication that he has had about what his ability to heal you know, is all about yeah. because he, he certainly looks like he is, you know, taken aback. And I, I can't sure. remember whether it was Fred or Maureen that mentions in the feedback about whether or not he can only heal the touched. Yeah. I, I believe that was Maureen. Who, yeah. Who I believe that. it was as well. Um, and that's a good question. That's I a mean, great we, question. Yeah. I mean, we, we haven't seen anything to indicate that he can heal the non-touched, but you know, there, there's still time. But watching their relationship develop, and, and, and again, the, the time t- timeline is sped up quite a bit. And, and I love it after she has apparently explained to him exactly what's happened. Okay, aliens from the future gave us magical powers. It was staring me in the face. Yeah. <laughs> just like, why did I think of that? Oh, that it's dry so, it's so humor. obvious now that you mention it. Right. But uh, again, he, he's just such a great character. I mean, my goodness. Um, yeah. But but she also, again, lets us back into that that world of hers where I, I spent a lifetime fighting and it didn't make any difference. And she realizes she's got to get out of the asylum, which begs the question why she hasn't attempted to get out sooner and maybe it's getting used to her body. We see her physically training. And, right. you know, we certainly understand that the body she had when she was striped was, you know, much taller, had bigger hands, I'm assuming much stronger. But she certainly has, has done a lot to, you know, develop this body. And we talked about that, where she got her fighting skills. Did she learn them? after the fact and and the answer is no she already had them now she had to right. kind of relearn them yep. with a new body right you got to rebuild that muscle memory right yeah but well still. what you said about her getting out you know i mean lavinia even tells her you know i know you could have gotten out of here ages ago and and she's like yeah but where would i go yeah you but know, so and what the hell happened there i mean she you know she goes to her hearing and on the one hand, as Lavinia says, you you had every reason to expect it would go well, unless you knew that it wouldn't, <laughs> you know, that she saw it going badly. What happened that landed her in a padded cell? 
Well, because they found the weapons under her bed. Okay, okay. I guess now, did you notice her face? I think so. Because it looked like she has scars and cuts in the same place that Stripe had them. Now, oh. there there is a little scuffle there. And then later, there you know, the Amalia that we know, it doesn't seem to have any scarring. So, you know, maybe these were just minor superficial cuts that the writers wanted us to, you know, I don't know. It's just a flesh wound. Yeah, make that connection. Lavinia, you know, lay, lays out her plan. And, uh, you know, again, like the Amalia True, who was a baker, she doesn't have a lot of options, but this one doesn't quite seem so bad that, he, he, you know, she doesn't use the the word, but it's almost like Lavinia is giving her an opportunity to put together an army such as it is. And, you know, you mentioned about not knowing what the mission is and that, you know, and that's fine, but let's put together the army and then we'll figure out the mission. You know, it's like, uh, what, Hearst, give me the pictures, I'll create the war. Right, right. So, which leads us into the final chapter titled True. Well, just one thing I just want to yeah, say, sure. because I mean, obviously one thing we get from this this chapter is like Laura Donnelly uh, acting toward the force here. Oh, my God, um, yes. Though I would say that her North American accent is not 100% convincing. And I love being able to say that because I know like – like British people often mock Americans when they try to speak like British and we seem sound silly. Um, and so I kind of feel a little supercilious and being able to say, Oh, well, you know, that she's actually Irish, but Northern Irish. Yeah. Like, but you know, ah, this, this act, actress from across the pond trying to sound like American didn't really work out very well. You know, but just the fact that she goes from that working class, uh, accent of Molly true, um, where we say, well, the, clearly that accent is not the Amalia we know. And then she goes to the North American accent when, you know, Stripe first enters the body. Like I said, awesome. Um, that's it. Not 100% accurate, but very awesome. And then she learns to speak like a, a posh lady of society and everything. And that montage there where she's learning how to to speak and act as a member of the upper classes in London was was really great. So we, we see this transformation here that gets her from this working class London woman to the the woman we know as Amalia now. Well, we, we've been talking about the plan to drill and we weren't exactly sure where they planned to drill. I mean, we, we suspected it was to the, the blue orb, which is, of course, where they ended up drilling. But, you know, they're under fire. Uh, the drilling team, you know, is, is basically trying to stay alive. And next thing you know, Amalia falls down the shaft, finds herself at the bottom, and comes face to face with the blue sphere of Doctor Haig's project. And I and again, I love her. just like in the future, though, right? Right. Like right. you go all the way down, and that's where the Galanthian. She even says that you're still down here, which of course, still down here. It's like, well, you're talking about the Galanthian that's way in the future, you know? So it's wild. Well, all this time and you're still in the fucking ceiling. Yeah. But it's more important, I think, when you you go past that and she implores, well, now what? Right. You, you know, this lack of hope, you know, Lucy, Mary, Sarah, there's no wisdom, no plan. 
Why did it go wrong? Was it me? And, and it still kind of gives me chills when she asks that question. Did my wreck of a brain cause all this shit? And then who am I? So, I mean, is she now internalizing the demise of planet Earth over what she's going to do with the rest of her life? And I mean, I guess she is. I mean, well, well right. She, she, cause again, she's a stripe. She, you know, I, I go and I do right? right. Like her whole life is just taking orders and doing what she's told. Now there's no orders. So now she's feeling, you know, look, but she feels like, you know, did, so is, is am I the reason the future happened? Did the Galanthes and, and actually here's the possibility we have entertained is that because again, like I said, I'm assuming the, the, the Galanthe are benevolent creatures, but you know, did they send her back to cause this future to happen? Is she the X? That, that's what she feels like. Now, of course, my feeling is like, well, obviously not. You know, you you are here. You've you've been sent back probably to save the world in the future by by saving in the past. And um, but 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 she doesn't feel like that. She she doesn't know because she just doesn't know. And like you said, it is it is a heart rendering scene. Heart rending, I should say. Um, it is a it is a a very strong emotional scene because she is just completely breaking down right here like you know the, the these essential questions almost like like the, these essential questions that that people have to whatever quote-unquote maker or or, or or power that you believe in like who am i why am i here what am i supposed to do these are the essential questions of existence that we 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 have you know i should say the existential questions that, that we have throughout the the history of humanity right and you know the guilt that now she's carrying with that just it makes her you know just even more endearing to us and you know we see then that movement and she has a flash of a girl reading we assume it's her at a younger age than two women and a man naked drinking which i assume is her the marriage she mentions uh earlier in chapter one soldiers in battle then scenes that we've seen and we realize this is all taking place as she's falling and Mm -hmm. and, you know she's falling in slow motion and these are just images that are going through her you know her mind so is it like her life flashing before her eyes as she thinks she's going to die but i think she sees some of molly's life too doesn't she well, I'm not sure about that I, because, and I thought about that, and I guess I was thinking, why would she? Because right, well, that, that's a great question, but that but that would be very telling, though, wouldn't it? Right. I, I didn't go back. I should have probably gone back. Like, I mean, I watched it five freaking times. So one yeah. of those times, you think I would would stop and, and figure out what each scene was, but I never did. So it just it goes very fast. I just I feel like some of the scenes they flash were scenes from from Molly's life, um, and not just uh, Stripes. Okay, yeah, I'm not sure either. I I think they're just from, well, I think they're from Stripes, and and I think they're from Stripe as Amalia post 1896 right. things that we we've seen, but but there are two important events left in the, in this episode, and and one is you know the 
exchange she has with Penance as they're sitting in the lab. And it's apparent Amalia's laid it all out for her. Wait, are we just going to skip over the part where she's like, she's like Myrtle? In like well, the, well, the, well that's, I was going to finish up with that. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Okay. Um, and, and Penance says, well, it is upsetting, the future being so grim for Primrose. Everyone. Primrose, right. But <laughs> we'll just change it all up. It's a life's work. And this is exactly what Amalia, a.k.a. Stripe, needs to hear Penance understands that, you know, we may never know whether what we do will have the effect we're looking for. And that's something that you know, I hadn't really put a lot of thought into until she says it. And that just makes what they're doing all the more significant yeah. because we know this is not an easy fix to turn the earth around and, right. and prevent it from to save the future you know. humanity. Right. That's a big task. Save the cheerleader, save the world. I'm not you know sure what that's, that's from, from, right? I don't know what that's from. That's from heroes. I never saw heroes. You never saw. Well, you didn't. I saw anything. the first episode well, and then uh, everyone said it sucked. So I yeah, well, the first season was okay. But, yeah. but then she says, any idea what we do next? And, and the two of them holding hands again, we've seen that before, but it's just such a beautiful scene because Amalia is so vulnerable and this is exactly what she needed to hear from the person that she trusts the most. So, yeah, well, she calls her her heart, right? Yeah, yes. That's what she's upset with the Galantha because you've separated me from my heart. Like, why am I here? I've sacrificed so much to be here. At, at this point, she she just assumes that her and, and Penance are dunsies, right? right? So she's like, I've I've basically broken the only really truly meaningful relationship that I have for what, why am I here? Why do you want me here? And you know, she's pissed, but, but, but again, she underestimates penance, right? Penance is not some wilting flower. Um, she's obviously, she's probably upset and you know, it's actually was, it's pretty big of, of, you know, Amalia to say that you were right. We should have done what you said to do. I, I, I was wrong. You know, and of course, like any relationship, like being able to admit when you're wrong is important. In, in mine, it's you know a daily exercise. But you know, so you know, the, as as you said, it's just such the relationship between those two is so integral and so central. And um, you know, it's like how Pence just says to her, "We'll do it, man. We'll take care of business. Don't get bent about the big pictures. Let's just." go day to day and let's just, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll be okay. Right. And, and, you know, we then go back and revisit the scenes uh, when Penance's crew from trying to save Malady from being executed returns to the orphanage, you know, and Amalia's crew is already there waiting. And, you know, we see that disheveled Augie and again, she tells Penance that trying to save Malady was the right call. And then it's time to tell them everything about the fight to come. And, and then, of course, she reveals that my name is Zephyr Alexis Naveen. Coming on the heels, and we still don't have an explanation, what is it about names in the future? But it's fascinating. But the elephant in the room, to a certain extent, uh, 
we we see and and you know more flashes and we hear somebody saying someone else hitched a ride but the real kicker seems to be that that person that hitched a ride are are they inside myrtle is, is that what we're supposed to I, no i i think we are not supposed to have a single effing clue who the other person who quote unquote hitched a ride is but I mean, well, well, right. But whoever that is, are they? You know, are they now in Myrtle's or, physical body? I mean, what we see, Myrtle, it's not Myrtle as we know. No, her. This of is course Myrtle not. Right from a long way down the road, as she says. So you know, th- this is a Myrtle who quite. I mean, I took it as a Myrtle who has grown and evolved and become something much more than what she is right now. But okay, so is she the other hitchhiker? Possibly they prominently show uh, the pictures of the beggar king. Um, is, right. is he the dude? They show Lord Masson with the shotgun. Is is it him? You know, like I mean, I, I I could totally get into like somehow that that free life dude somehow getting a ride on the Galanthi, and so one of her main you know antagonists is back there in you know 1890 whatever and and but we just don't know who who it is right now right so i mean i guess i looked at it that perhaps myrtle's language issues had something to do with you know whoever hitched a ride with her because whoever hitched a ride is from the future yeah right so we don't know whether it's anybody that we've met in that chapter one segment or somebody else and, you know now you say it, i mean like the idea that's myrtle that actually probably has a lot of traction behind it because she's unable to really tell anyone if if it is like if she were someone from the future you know she's she's unable to really tell but i just i feel like because she her her touch seems to be something specifically other um, so I don't think it's her. I think it's someone like we don't even suspect. I, I, and I almost discount anyone that we know is already touched as not because they were spored, right? All those people were spored, right? Uh, if, if they're they're touched, so the person who would be the other hitchhiker would not be someone who was spored. Though actually, I guess now we think about it, Amalia. But, but again, her her flashes in the future because doesn't Stripe have a, a flash forward too? Um, I feel like something happened there. I don't know. That's this is yeah. why I just like I, I guess I need to watch it for a sixth time. But well, um, I was going to say it. It's yeah, so because point. because you know she does mention because um, like Knitter says like do you are like because of the the stuff she took. She asked, I think, do you, you know, are there um, like side effects? And, and Stripe was like, yeah, I don't even know if this is real right now. You oh, know? right. Yep. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. That, that's that's the, the, the absolute brilliant thing about this show is like we are obviously at this point is, is complete speculation. You know, there's can probably provide a, a good case for almost – any of the, the characters that we know for there being um, one of the, the other quote unquote hitchhiker. 
you know that that's just something we're gonna have to wait to find out and um you know for right now like who knows but there's certainly that the vision she has gives us some you know likely suspects okay all right uh you want to move on to listener feedback or you got anything else you want to well one thing i think the the italian girl that we saw that was has is kind of i guess basically in slavery down there um just this viewing i think she's the one she touches the elevator the elevator goes up because of her right i right. didn't okay. notice that all right cool because yeah. uh, like before i just i didn't even come to that like at first I thought oh well there's the italian girl I'm like oh wait yeah just now i realized oh yeah well she touched the elevator and that's why the elevator goes up because that's her her magic power so we kind of now finally see like what kind of her purpose because like i was kind of wondering all along like why i mean besides showing like the the the, the terrible conditions she's subjected to and, and and villainizing Haig and to to another degree lavinia as well um, i was wondering why she was in the show in the first place yeah. and, and so we kind of get that here especially with kind of like this uh which i admittedly before i thought it was a pretty weak touch but uh but it turns out to be pretty important in the end um so, and then when you know uh Amalia leaves the building. She leaves it punching a guy through the door, which I thought was brilliant. Ready to move on to some feedback? Sure. All right. Well, Maureen checked in via email and says the absolute hardest thing about supplying feedback for episode six is the inclination to explain everything I've figured out from watching multiple times over several weeks. I have wondered if chapter one is not just this episode, but the whole show. Hello, Claudia Black, a.k.a. Stripe, a.k.a. Zephyr, a.k.a. Amalia True, a.k.a. Molly. Enter Stripe, which I think means first gun through the door. Free life seems to be old white guys, and we have to wonder if Masson ends up the first free lifer. There's been lots of debate about glazers. We know they dropped Zephyr's body temperature, but I'm guessing Stripe was misusing in order to possum. Debate is why someone would need a device that lowers temperature. Well, so you can... Look dead possum. and then right. kill people. Right. right. Uh, love that it's easy to figure out that Stripe is Amalia. Love the term spored. Love that Stripe had a marriage of three people. I guess that could be in our future. Uh, what do you think gray means? Some form of naive or dumb. I think naive. Yeah. I, Chap- I think it's like we say green, that someone's green if they're inexperienced or, right. or, or naive. And I think they say gray, which is, again, in their world there's probably no green exactly right right chapter one explains so much and then gets to the point where everyone in the bunker knows they won't survive the day what does free life owns history mean and i would say see your mass in prediction uh, see history right history is written <laughs> by the winners uh do we need to discuss time loops has this happened already i'm not sure i'm ready to go there yet yeah we we're already over our time so yeah. well i just don't know that i I just mean in, in I'm not necessarily seeing any evidence yet. Right. I, I, I mean, it's definitely yeah. a thing that could be a, a, a possibility, but, but no. right. I, I, and I'm not sure they're going to go there. Uh, you know, as, as you said, I think if we do see the future, it's going to be in very limited capacity. I think probably now I, I, I've, you've kind of won me over to your side. I think the action of the show is going to be almost entirely, if not completely in uh, the 1890s, 1900s. Right. Uh, she says, do we also need to discuss simulations? I'm really hoping Victorian England isn't a simulation. Yeah, that, that would feel like 
uh, kind that, of cheat. Yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. a big cheat. Though I, I do like when she says, uh, what did she say? Um, she's like, I, is, I, this is a sim tum. You know, like she right. she said, Sim, and she figures it some, uh, it's not to sound crazy. So anyway, yeah. Right. Uh, I think those white gloves will continue to mean something. We just don't know what at this point. Chapter two fills in Molly's backstory, but more importantly, and you mentioned this a, a minute ago, Wayne, shows what a great actress Laura Donnelly is and how depressing being poor in Victorian England was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, chapter three takeaways. Sarah has been in the asylum previously. We know time-wise. Uh, timeline why she just arrived because it's the same day as the first scene of the show but the staff talks to sarah saying she knows the rules uh watching stripe figure things out is so well done and how great we get to connect the dots with her specifically regarding sarah and malady and she, i really hope a malady episode is next <laughs> yeah enter enter dr horatio cousins you know zachary momo i believe it's momo i'm not sure how to pronounce his last name keeps getting great supporting roles definitely an actor to watch couldn't agree more can cousins heal anyone or only the touch yeah we mentioned that earlier but uh, maureen brings up whether or not he could help lavinia walk again and whether or not he and amalia have discussed the risks of helping people and whether augie will suggest that and yeah that's I mean, it's almost like you have to address that at some point in the future, even if it's not whether or not she could walk again, but more to the point, can he heal the non-touched? Right. So, And um, is she the non-touched? And right. Enter Dr. Haig, and in defense of Amalia, she didn't know what Dr. Haig would do to Sarah, and Sarah wasn't showing she was touched yet, as you mentioned. Uh, keep going back and forth on her and come to the conclusion she's carving out her place and wants to be a change agent. But I don't think she knows everything Dr. Haig is doing and may not know he was abducting touched. But chapter four, why is the Galanthi alone? Well, I, I think we do learn that there were, I think somebody says there were 20 at one point mm-hmm. and that the, the free life army has uh, assumed killed them, which then begs the question, an alien race that can travel through, you know, yeah. how did you how did you let some... Yeah, a bunch you know, of rednecks, right? Yeah. Uh, where's <laughs> Dr. Haig, Lavinia, the miners? Lavinia warned Augie to leave London. Now, at that point, remember, she the, the plan is to move, you know, the Galanthi from underground. So I don't know what she thinks is going to happen to London. Um, should we trust the Galanthi? Uh, obviously, that, that's a question we've talked about. Who else hitchhiked? My bet is Dr. Haig and probably a free lifer. Yeah, you know, a free lifer maybe would make more sense because it would then bring the big ba- another big bad right. into the. To yeah, the yeah. And that's kind of what I, I admit all along, uh, even after the first time I saw this, my suspicion was that the, the, the other hitchhiker is a free lifer. Yeah. Now, Maureen says things she's looking forward to, Malady's origin story and her hunt for Mm -hmm. Dr. Haig, which I believe is why she had that public fake death. Uh, Dr. Haig's origin. Our main touched characters learning about the Ferryman's Club, then learning that Augie is a principal owner and Augie explaining to Penance and Lavinia. That's going to be an uncomfortable conversation uh, yeah, for Yeah, and, and of course, Amalia is probably going to say, well, where's my free pass? Where's my token to get in right. there? Come on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Myrtle finding her voice. Lucy's return. Yeah, I'm, mm, maybe. I'm ambivalent about that. Yeah. Uh, and then additional touch turns that are extreme and big game changers. 
both for good and for dangerous. So uh, great stuff, Maureen. Thank you for the feedback. Let's hear what Fred's got for us this week, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Nevers, Season 1, Episode 6. What am I watching? I finished up my rewatch of Firefly. It was very much enjoyable. And I'm watching further on Dark Angel. And last podcast I listened to of Dark Angel, I heard you saying the following. And you might want to think about a future STR project with Hemlock Grove. I think you'd like it. Okay. I heard somebody saying, okay, well, actually you are doing it just one episode per year. I'm very happy you are going to do the second season of Ragnarok and looking very much forward to that, which also certainly postpones perhaps a Alice in Borderland. First off, three small remarks about previous podcast. Wayne was saying about a hanged woman that it was Melody or actually Effie Boyle, but it was of course not Effie, it was Clara. The real Effie was as a corpse in the subway tunnel. And my second remark is on the fact that they closed the gates in episode 5. You said so that the crowd couldn't get out. No, I think they closed the gates because Mundi didn't want to have more than 400 spectators. So that they could prevent more people getting in. He found it an unwanted show anyhow. So he wanted to limit the amount of spectators. The third point is that Wayne said that Lord Mason is also in dealing opium, drugs, etc. Because he said the touched are burning our warehouse. It's not one warehouse. I think he meant the touched are burning your warehouse or your cart with opium. And they are burning my warehouse with guns and arms. So in that sense, our warehouses. Okay, getting into the sixth episodes of The Nevers. I'm very happy that I could watch now all kinds of behind-the-scenes and other explanatory shows, etc., which helped quite a little bit. What also helped was re-watching chapter one of this episode. One of the things I heard in this behind-the-scenes stuff was really amazing, so that uh, Laura Donnelly, who plays Amalia, really asked Claudia Beck, who plays Stripe, to read Amalia's lines in the asylum. And in that way, Laura Donnelly could speak in the same accent as Stripe. And then by this language coach in the asylum, she slowly switched to her more English accent. A very professional approach, I think. One other thing I was puzzled about, whether there was a mistake in the newspaper clipping of Lord Mason about Amalia being a baker or a butcher. But now we find out she was indeed a baker's aide and a butcher's wife. So the article was right. So you heard at the beginning of the podcast my summary of chapter one. And that took so much time that I won't have time to go into detail about the other chapters. But the other chapters are actually quite nice, clear, and giving a very nice context of what happened all in the first five episodes. And I really, really liked this concept that we were kept in the dark for five episodes, but got almost all answers in the sixth. So what are my questions? Why did the Galanti go into the Earth's past instead of going home? Is somebody else transferred to the Victorian time? Because in Amalia's vision, there is a voiceover that says, Do you think you were the only one who hitched a ride? Is that Nitter? And if yes, who did she land up in? Did Amalia get her merry song message from this other person or directly from the Galanti? 
And is this Galanti actually a grown-up Galanti or a kind of Galanti egg? Best line of the episode, apart from the very last sentence said by Penance, with the F word in it, it's a sentence said by Amalia. I think I'm starting to like this body after all. Sorry, a little longer than usual, but it's also a very intriguing series, just like Dark or Often Black. Greets, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Uh, Fred mentions a chapter one summary, and we didn't include that in the final edit. But Fred's right about uh, Clara rather than Effie Boyle being hanged. I, I can't remember. I, um, I mean, I think it was easy to. to I mean, I, I do that. I don't know if I would. Don't imagine I would, if I maybe said something like that. But yeah, I'm, I would well, have never. I don't. I, at no point did I not know who the person was who was hanged because when they showed her feet and they that they showed us that throughout the the series. So I mean, right, like, it was right. clear who who the person was who was actually hanged. And then Effie Boyle is the person, obviously, as Fred said, who was, who was found in the underground. So I don't know if I said anything that suggests the otherwise, but I never thought that it was either Malady or Effie Boyle who's Right, the and that, that comes hanged. out in Frank's office. But but he is right. I, I know it was me that mentioned that, that the gates were locked to keep people in because I was thinking that that was part of her plan. Right. But, but I think but I straightened the, you out there, though, I think, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but 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 the gates were locked to keep people out. It just happened to kind of work out that way. Yes, that that right. nobody could uh, could get out because they were were locked. So, uh, and then you know he he mentions about and, and again I'm not sure which one of us uh, might have been you uh, about Masson dealing drugs because yes. he says our warehouse. I don't you know I don't think he meant our as in his and. Right. Yeah, so, the, the okay. So plan. I actually went back to see what exactly he said. And he says that Bonfire Annie is still out there setting fire. He says to both our holdings, okay, which I obviously took to mean that they were holding collectively together the opium, but probably as Fred's, I, I think Fred, Fred's right in saying he, she torched your drugs and then she torched my munitions exactly yeah right. so and uh um my munitions going up was a lot more spectacular than uh your drugs going up but your drugs yeah, that was you know, pretty pen- good penance enjoyed right. them that's right you know. exactly um but but then he raises that question about why the galanthi goes to earth's past well we, you know we know why they go to the past the question is why do they go to 1896 and why not before the you know why not stop the industrial revolution i guess you could argue well you know that's inevitable i mean you could delay it but you're not going to stop it so why don't they go to 1963 and keep prevent kennedy from being killed that's what i want to know well thanks (laughs) so so yeah that that's still i guess we have to look at history and and of course as i mentioned you know the next big historical event is the first world war 15 years in the future what is it about that i mean mean, certainly it's the first use of airplanes in in war and and you know they played a yeah i don't want to say a really significant role but but they certainly did play a role and and after the first world war it just you know aviation just took off you know the the development of weapons and and you know we've got uh, oppenheimer and his uh his crew that developed the atomic bombs in in the 40s that you know 
there's there's we'll a, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen in the in the next century that right. uh, could so, quite possibly lead to the apocalypse. Right, but the fascinating part will be watching Penance and Amalia try to figure out what to do. What do we stop? What do we prevent from happening? So how can they possibly know? So will they get a message from the future somehow? I don't know. Yeah. So. All right, anything else about uh, Fred's feedback? No, I don't okay. think so. All right. Fred, thank you. Um, Maureen, thank you. Um, yeah, we already said A-plus on this one. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I mean, we are going to go ahead and start our look at Ragnarok next week. But we probably could end up doing another show about the Nevers. But Well, if, if we get tons and tons of feedback... Well, we have I mean, in the past done a feedback. I would be adverse to doing a feedback show for yeah. for, for the whole season right. if uh, if you know, we get you know lots of feedback from multiple right. sources. So, well, in, in the future, you know, I've got some notes. I I don't know if I mentioned it to you. I'll I'll uh, I'll share it with you. You know, kind of connections between uh, Dollhouse, the Nevers, Harry Potter. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, in terms of some characters. I mean, you know, several of those are Whedon. Um, obviously, Harry Potter is not. But anyway, all right. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there. This has been a really great discussion. Obviously, we went a bit longer than we usually go, but you know, it was definitely warranted. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm watching this. Something. I'm like, man, we're we're definitely have to talk about this. We have to talk about this for probably a half hour longer. Than the episode actually is, but yeah, you know, that's okay. <laughs> so, all right, well, we will leave it there. That will do it for this episode of Sci Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear your thoughts on the Nevers, anything going on in your genre TV world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Our email is sci fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next time to talk about the season two premiere of Ragnarok. But until then, you know, Dave, it's just, I find it a sense of daily frustration that the fact that I have world-class tits, but I can't see over a chair. <laughs>